Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? If I told her, it would only make her feel worse about Harry, but would it make her feel better about me? <laughs> oh, no. To listen to this show, find us on 4iradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And before we get into anything We've got word snappers business to attend to, and I just couldn't possibly imagine how any of you could have ever identified where the word snappers words were because I just did such a smooth, non-stumbly job of incorporating them into the conversation. So, oh no, that was I'm sure good. none was of good. you even noticed. <laughs> I, I I think it was fun because it was it it was a it was a legit tangent. I it was serendipitous. I really had just gone to the state fair like two days before recording this episode <laughs> and had eaten an elephant ear which is my favorite fair food like all all yeah. lies start with the grade of truth so like there it worked go. out you know yeah. it was a legit tangent yeah both the past few submissions from Bo have been such a fun challenge to work in because in this case the phrase was electro eats elephant ears eagerly uh <laughs> that Beautiful, beautiful alliteration is always a challenge to work in, uh, but I like it. I like the challenge. Yeah. So if you are interested in submitting Word Snappers words, you can do that by becoming a patron at any level. Uh, so for just a dollar a month, you can make us say ridiculous things, uh, and we are quite committed to making sure they make their way in. So uh, check that out, patreon.com slash snappers. We are talking about the 90s animated series, uh, which you can watch along with us on Disney+. Plus. You can purchase it on digital platforms if you happen to have the Ultimate Villain Showdown DVD. You could even watch this episode we're about to talk about on your own DVD set. Good. Just like old times? Oh, wow. That feels weird that DVDs are also like old times. <laughs> older pre-DVD, too. Wow. Yep. Yep. <laughs> The episode we're talking about is Spider-Man the Animated Series, Season 3, Episode 4, entitled The Sins of the Fathers, Chapter 4, Enter the Green Goblin. We're right back to the daddy issues of the Sins of the Fathers arc in this episode. The synopsis per IMDb is, after an explosion at Oscorp Industries, Norman Osborn has gone missing. Soon after, a menace called the Green Goblin appears and starts kidnapping the chair members of Oscorp's board. I wonder if they're connected. Hmm, we'll find hmm. out. The original air date for this episode was May 18th, 1996. Story by John Semper, who we're familiar with. It was written by Marty Eisenberg and Robert Skur. Um, we have talked about both of them before, um, but it was way, 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 way back on our fourth episode ever, which was uh, for Sting of the Scorpion. 
Um, they're frequent collaborators. So just as a refresher, um, just because they have done some stuff that's relevant to us that that's worth calling out and done stuff like more recently than our last coverage of them. They were story editors for Beast Machines together, writers on Gargoyles together, and Solo Eisenberg wrote on the Jackie Chan adventures. All three of those shows are shows that we've done after dark commentaries on on our Patreon. So check those out if you want to learn more about those shows or maybe not learn, hear us talk about those shows <laughs> while drinking. Sometimes I, I you should... accidentally learn things. Sometimes you accidentally sometimes learn we things. accidentally say smart things. Sometimes, sometimes you actually learn things not about the shows, but about us personally, <laughs> uh, whether you wanted to or not. Yes. True. True. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Wildwood Web Cybers. Uh-huh. Uh, other notable rating credits set that are fun to call out for both of them. They both wrote, both wrote on Batman the Animated Series and X-Men the Animated Series. Um, Eisenberg... Uh, uh, has uh, solo written on Ultimate Spider-Man, Hulk, and the Agents of Smash. Most recently, I think after our coverage originally, um, he's written on Guardians of the Galaxy, the cartoon, and on the most recent season of the 2017 Spider-Man show. So, since this episode is about the Green Goblin, I've got some fun production stuff. Um, some of it we've sort of touched on before, like we touched on when we were talking about the Hobgoblin, because it's all really tied in together. But I'm going to bring it up again because I think I have a little more insight on it from some extra research. And also, it's been so long since we talked about it. Like, I don't know. You might have forgotten. So with uh, the reason, the main thing is, like, why is the Green Goblin showing up in Season 3 and the Hobgoblin was in Season 1 when, like, it's canonical that the Hobgoblin came after the Green Goblin? And let's face it, the Hobgoblin kind of sucks in a lot of a lot of, uh, a lot lot of of versions. So, like, why is the Hobgoblin here first? Um there's an interview with uh, with John Semper that he did with Marvel Animation Animation Age years and years ago, um, and he says, "I too was upset that we had to introduce the Hobgoblin first. Uh, it was a dumb thing to do, so it won't <laughs> surprise you if I tell you that I had nothing whatsoever to do with that decision." God, I love his interviews; they're so <laughs> frank. I mean, why not at this point? Why not? Yeah, why not? He cites that it was like the decision we this this is something I know we definitely mentioned very, very early on, I think in our very first episode, um, that there was a previous story editor before John Semper came on um, for this show that apparently like was fired before Semper came on board. And this was one of those decisions that the original story editor did before Semper came on board. And even though like a lot of those anything that that original story editor like put into place was pretty much disregarded and they started pretty much started from scratch when Semper came aboard. The one thing that did have to stay um, was uh, was the Hobgoblin. So Semper says, there was only one creative decision which my predecessor had made that I had to live with. For some strange reason, known only to him, he decided to use the Hobgoblin as Spidey's main villain instead of the Green Goblin. Uh, of course, when I got there, I informed Avi Arad that this was a stupid idea. I explained why. The Hobgoblin is essentially a useless character, and he agreed with me. <laughs> I know Beautiful. that, like... There are definitely people who like the Hobgoblin. I feel like we've made very clear on, like, the Hobgoblin episodes of the first season that, like, we don't really like the Hobgoblin in this show at the very least. Yeah, I like, only know Hobgoblin from this show. I, yeah. I, it's a TBD on anything else for me, and he's, his episodes uh, in the in the early season suck. Yeah, they're pretty bad. So... <laughs> Uh, and, and Semper agrees with us, and so does Avi Arad. So, um, unfortunately, like the the problem was that the Hobgoblin was one of like the the earliest toys that Toy Biz had like licensed or was already in production. Mm. I think. Gotcha. Um, so Semper said, "I had to do the Hobgoblin first, or else Avi would have lost millions of dollars on useless Hobgoblin toys that no kid wanted because you know he wouldn't have been in the show yet." 
as it was, uh, Semper says, as it was, there were still plenty of unsold Hobgoblin toys on the shelves at Toys R Us that Christmas. Anyway, even with our two-part episode, nobody really liked the character that much. <laughs> to be fair, that two-part episode wasn't very good. Yeah, they could have written a better episode for him, to be fair. Yeah. It's not all the Hobgoblin's fault. Yeah. <laughs> that said, Semper said, I am proud uh, how I made the Hobgoblin and his goblin technology naturally segue into the origin of the Green Goblin by having Norman Osborn be the one who made the technology in the first place. That made it all seem rather natural and less idiotic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a smart way to sort of set it up so that there was a connection yeah. there. And I think we even commented on that back in our, our early episodes, too, that it's like the, the, the threads are all there. It's just a matter of when they're going to pull on them and bring Norman into, like, the actual Green Goblin fold instead of just being yeah. the benefactor and sort of creator of that technology. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand why he has animosity towards Hobgoblin being there. I do think he's being a little bit hard on just the idea of Hobgoblin um, mm-hmm. when it when it's not like the execution was especially good. Yeah, <laughs> like, you could have done better. <laughs> if you were forced to do something, you, you could have, you know, sweetened the lemonade a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Definitely new bits of information to have. I remember when we recorded our, our original episodes, like, the story editor thing was kind of a mystery, and I think it was just simply because I didn't really dig deep enough because the information was out there. Um, it was just like kind of buried in some interviews and stuff and, and on some pages. So multiple sources that I've found in doing like additional cursory research is actually that that original story editor was apparently Martin Pasco, uh, who just died in 2020. So just recently died. Um, but he was a very prominent writer, uh, particularly of DC Comics. Um, I think he's like most prominent for like the 1975 revamp of Dr. Fate. And I think even more than that, just tons and tons and tons of iterations and adaptations of Superman. Um, hmm. So like in Yeah, so wrote lots of DC comics, but in addition to that, he also wrote licensed comics for Gargoyles and Star Trek, uh, I think in the 90s. Um, He wrote the comic adaptation of Superman Returns. He vetted some scripts for Smallville and the Birds of Prey shows. Uh, He wrote on Roseanne. He wrote on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon from the 80s. He wrote on Batman the Animated Series. And he was even a co-writer on the Batman Mask of the Phantasm movie. Um, So he has... Tons of great cred. Like, I think that, um, well, actually, I'll let, like, Semper actually does have a quote on him that I found from uh, DRG4's Spider-Man page from an interview that Semper did years ago. He said, without naming Pasco in, in this interview, but he said, he was probably an extremely talented, wonderful writer, but my guess is that politically he might have been in way over his head. Um, and, and the way he elaborates on that in the interview is just that working on a show like this, like a big property for a network, like there's a lot of politics involved in like what can be there, where the money is going to mm-hmm. go, what the executives want versus what the creatives want. Um, and, you know, we see from Semper's interviews that he was he's a very strong headed dude. He has like a very he has like an ego about him that I think you need to have in that position where it's like. My idea is fucking good, guys. You're going to listen to me or you're not getting a show. And if you're not, you know, in that position, like no matter how good of a writer you are, if you don't really know how to work with the people that are paying your bills, unfortunately, it's going to be hard to do. And that's what it sounds like happened here. Guy obviously had a lot of cred. I would have been very interested to see what his Spider-Man show would have been, but it just wasn't working. So Mm -hmm. all of that thing is kind of interesting. This whole episode, I think, feels like a throwback to the first season in some regards. So like it made sense to sort of bring that information in here in our episode here today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, unsurprisingly, uh, we're introduced to the green goblin here. Uh, And 
because uh spoiler alert everybody uh because the green goblin's identity is revealed in this very episode uh i'll just go ahead and say voiced by the same guy that we talked about when we talked about norman osborne <laughs> yeah. uh probably unsurprising but if this is the only spider-man show you watched or this is how you learned about spider-man there is at least at least a conversation as there always is with the green goblin about if this was the first time you saw this story would you would it have been obvious that it was norman osborn um and we can get to that but um yeah in this case same guy's voicing him uh yeah. and so you probably probably could have probably could have guessed but he does a good job distinguishing his voice he does well i think it's interesting too because if i remember correctly he's the voice of norman osborn in amazing friends but not the green goblin because dennis marks is green goblin in amazing friends so the fact that like a decade later, he comes back <laughs> and is like, I'm, I got this. Yeah. Also, I'm going to be Green Goblin now. And he mm-hmm. does a wonderful job. Like, he actually sounds a lot like Dennis Marks's version of Green Goblin. Um, but, like, Neil Ross does that naturally, which is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And there are moments in this episode towards the end where he's he's switching between the two. Um, it's which, really you know, good. I mean, you could do with editing, but he's not. He's just, yeah. I think he's just literally switching between the two. Yeah. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I really like him as, as Green Goblin. Yeah. He does a really good job. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like this episode a lot in general. So yeah, let's talk about I, it. I do too. Well, this episode opens with Norman Osborn and Wardell Strom, which we know in every other iteration in the comics is Mendel Strom. Why a name that's already weird like Mendel is changed to Wardell, which is also a weird name. I don't really understand. Seems like an odd choice, but. I don't know. <laughs> cool. I don't okay. know. It's it's the Mendel Strom we know, just called Wardell for some reason. Anyway, um, but yeah, they're continuing a long and strenuous evening to perfect an unidentified formula. Uh, as they do, Norman recalls a meeting he had with uh, his board, which consists of Anastasia Hardy, Wilson Fisk, and J. Jonah Jameson, and then some unnamed suit dudes who don't really matter and never talk. Um <laughs> In particular, uh, Anastasia and Kingpin, uh, Wilson Fisk, because I guess they don't know he's Kingpin in the boardroom, but are appalled and frustrated to learn of Norman's experimentation with chemical weapons. Norman blames Jameson for, like, reporting on the story, and Jameson's like, dude, it's my job. I didn't make chemical weapons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's like, you're putting the blame in the wrong place here, buddy. But yeah, so he's blaming Jameson. Anastasia's like, no, I'm going to have Norman removed from the board. Yeah, and I'm assuming it's the board of Oscorp. I don't know what else it would be, but I don't know if it's established. But yeah, I feel it. I think it clarifies itself later on in the episode. Yeah, Um, yeah. But she just says like the board. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh, but yeah, that's the whole gist. I, you know what? I love one thing I really like about this episode is that I think it, like, involves every major character, like, really well. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody kind of... I mean, not everyone has, like, a ton of screen time or stuff to do necessarily, but everybody, like, has some kind of part to play or is connected to the story in a way that I don't know if we've really seen in this show before, like, this extensively. Like, it feels like like spectacular Spider-Man levels of interconnectivity. Because in this boardroom alone, like... 
Jameson, the Daily Bugle. You have Anastasia Hardy, which is linked to Felicia, who is like one of Peter's love interests and friends. Um, and you have Kingpin, who is like the crime overlord linked to Spider-Man. And then Norman Osborn, who is also linked to Harry, who is linked to Mary Jane, who ends up coming into the story because of Harry. All all in, in like Peter Parker or Spider-Man's orbit. And it's like really intelligent how that's done i think and it does make sense for these particular characters to be on like a major new york corporation's board too yeah it's it's uh it's this and even just the other episodes we've talked about so far feel very distinct in just even within an episode they're telling stories or or writing characters uh distinct from the first two seasons yeah the season i think they really i think they really figured out their serialization in their world i think i think they got it unlocked this season we'll see if that continues but i think it's good in this episode it's very good in this episode yeah so when norman sort of like comes out of this memory of this meeting he receives a phone call from kingpin who in this in this case would be you know more appropriately called kingpin uh because he's asking for an update on the formula which he calls a gas and admits even to saying like when I'm Wilson Fisk, I have to condemn you for this. But when I'm the kingpin, like I'm pretty interested in what you're doing. And also you better hurry the F up because I want this gas. Uh, so Norman's like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and like demands to test the formula or demands to have a test of the formula despite Wardell uh, being like, I don't know if that's a good idea. We don't really know its properties or what it'll totally do or how long it'll last if it does it. Um, but Norman's like, I don't care. I need to know we're going to get a test. Um, and in this sort of like fervent state, uh, doesn't pay attention to safety protocols and blows up his own lab. Cool. Cool, dude. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. So it's a big explosion. Uh, Spider-Man sees it from across the city cause it's a big explosion. So he rushes to investigate. Harry also uh, sees the explosion. Well, actually, first, Harry, who's, like, sitting on the bridge in his car, uh, listens to a radio news report about the explosion. And then he looks up, and the explosion is, like, not that far off of the horizon. So, like, he would have found it either way. Uh, yeah. So both of these people are aware of this explosion and presumably on their way to it. Yeah. Dad? Dad? <laughs> <laughs> I do also – I like the nice little detail that, like – before he even hears the news report, like Peter, uh, Peter Harry does see is like glances at the newspaper with the Osborne chemical weapons headline yeah. that they were printed. So like it's clear that it's kind of on the top of his mind and bothering him right now. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice, elegant little bit of uh, of visual storytelling. I think. Yeah, it's good. It's good. 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 Well, Spider-Man arrives in time to pull Wardell Strom from the burning building, but when he returns to get Norman. Uh, a nearby tank full of a green chemical explodes and like floods the room, nearly douses Spider-Man, um, but he manages to just sort of escape the wave of this chemical. So he's like, oh, well, I barely escaped. So Norman probably really took the brunt of that. That's not good. Uh, <laughs> so he's surprised when he sees an Osborne uh, in a totally different part of the lab, but realizes it's Harry, not Norman, which makes sense with what he was assuming so he grabs harry because he's like you should not be in here gets him out of the building and then actually leaves uh when the firefighters take over and just sort of is like man that sucks no way norman got out (laughs) (laughs) norman's dead i feel bad for harry (laughs) big explosion you know i don't blame him (laughs) yep he even says like nothing i could do now like ooh, oof (laughs) yep 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 
Yeah, and then we flash forward. Actually, we flash forward yeah. two weeks later. Damn, I didn't really expect that, but uh, I'm glad they did it though. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it makes sense. It's actually, yeah, uh, it's it's good. Um, it, it flashes forward two weeks later, and uh, Fisk, Anastasia Hardy, and Jameson, um, and those other board members uh, are bringing in Harry. Uh, to basically name a successor to Norman. Um, so Harry's in there, but he's pissed. Cause he's like, no, I y'all got to wait. Like the body hasn't been recovered. We don't know if my dad is dead. Um, and you know, and he's, he kind of gives them some, uh, he definitely gives him a piece of his mind. Like he's very clearly angry. He's very clearly kind of um, blaming him a bit for like how they treated him and stuff beforehand. Like you guys were his friends and, and he considered you all his friends and colleagues. And you're just like treating him like shit here. Um, basically accuses them of driving Norman to his own destruction by how hard they were on him. Um, and so Fisk is like, fine. I'm going to adjourn the meeting. He's right. Let's table all of this. Uh, we're not going to name successor yet since we don't actually know if he's dead for real yet. Yeah, this is good. This is a good detail and a good scene. And at first I was like, what is going on here? Uh, but it's a good, the way that it shakes out and the way that Harry talks to them is like good for what this episode is doing and the story that it's yeah. telling. No, um, absolutely. It makes sense. It's like all in it. character. It doesn't feel like, cause, cause basically, you know, just to flash forward a bit, like what this episode does um, is, you know, it, it does try to do the thing where it's like trying to throw you off of the goblin's path, thinking that maybe Harry is the goblin instead of Norman. I don't think it, it try. It, I don't, I think it intentionally doesn't try super hard to convince you it's Harry, but it like does enough, like it, it lays enough breadcrumbs. Um, and I think it does it in such a way that like, it doesn't heighten Harry like too much just to make him a red herring. Like all of his reactions and the way that he's acting and his interactions with people make sense given the circumstances that they've set up, I think. Yeah, I think everything he's doing makes sense. I think I think there's maybe a bit more of a conversation about whether they do a good enough job incorporating yeah. it, but well we have we I, haven't no, seen I all think those that details that's fair. Yet. I think the goblin mystery is a thing we can talk about, but I think at least it's such a like, hard thing to talk about. But we'll it is. we'll we'll try to do it for this one. Because this one is very clearly trying to tell it a certain way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the thing that I really like about this, though, uh, this this next scene that we're going to talk about in relation to the last scene we just talked about, where Fisk adjourns the meeting and is like, Harry's right. Like, we need to, like, do our due diligence and take the time to figure this out and, like, hold things off. I love that that's immediately followed up with a scene of Kingpin then instructing Strom to basically use the sort of public spectacle of what is happening to Norman Osborn to continue his work sort of unnoticed uh, on the gas and the formula that basically killed Norman. Like, no one's looking at us right now, so, like, get to it. <laughs> it's like, damn, yeah. Kingpin. Yeah. It's good. It's, really yeah. good. It's really good. Yep. <laughs> and Strom's even like, are you serious right now? And Kingpin's like, don't ask questions. Just make the gas. <laughs> yeah. It's very smart. <laughs> so Kingpin's, Kingpin's a smart guy. <laughs> I know. I like, I just, I, I, I like what they've been doing with him. I know last week it was sort of like, why does he need to be here? But I think because of what they're doing big picture, it, it, it does actually justify him showing up at every point to this point that he has shown up. Yeah, I agree. So elsewhere in the city, one of the board members, and I did have to go back to double check that this is who it was. Like, I assumed it was the case, but I was like, I don't remember who those other people were. So I literally did rewind to make sure that it was, like, even just the same model. Um, yeah. It is. <laughs> it's it's just a, a guy. He's getting coffee. 
uh, and he's attacked by an airborne figure who's cackling and wearing green and purple. Hmm. <laughs> we obviously know who it is, but that's one of those things we can put into our little box of evidence to evaluate later on, on whether sure. hypothetically uh, or how hypothetically somebody would watch this knowing nothing. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, Mary Jane catches up to Peter, I think, like on their college campus or something like that, and uh, expresses to Peter uh, concern about Harry not returning her calls. So Peter's like, all right. Um, his his internal monologue in this episode, whenever it's regarding Harry and Mary Jane, it just mm-hmm. annoys me so much. This is the first instance of it because he's just like, I'm always paying, I'm always playing matchmaker between Harry and Mary Jane, even though I'm in love with Mary Jane. And it's like, your incel levels are off the chart in this yeah. episode, dude. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, it's it's really annoying. But uh, this is the first instance of it. Uh, but nevertheless, Harry is ostensibly his best friend, I guess. I don't fucking know. But <laughs> They really picked still... that back up in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I guess so. So Harry goes. Uh, Peter goes to check on his friend uh, at uh, at the apartment, and Harry, you know, opens the door. He's like, "Oh!" They give him like the bag, like bags under his eyes and stuff like that. He snaps at Peter. Is like, "I don't need anyone, okay?" And then he slams the door. He does. He does like come out and like clarify to Peter that it's just like I'm just upset about everything. Like he doesn't just leave it at that. At least. Um, but uh, but he's you know it's still not a great interaction. So Peter suits up to uh, clear his head. Coincidentally, <laughs> right nearby where Peter is clearing his head as Spider Man, Jameson is attacked by this cackling figure. Uh, this time, complete with a ton of green gas, which even if you've never seen Green Goblin, should seem familiar if you've been watching the show. Yeah, uh, we saw a whole lot of green gas in season one. <laughs> yeah. And clearly, Spidey himself has been watching this show because he sees this sort of commotion. He sees a glimpse of the figure flying off on a glider, uh, pursues it, and is like, oh, man, Hobgoblin's back, not this guy. And we're all like, yeah, we know. Correct (laughs) reaction. Yeah, us too. (laughs) This episode was going so good, and now Hobgoblin's here. (laughs) Who brought this guy back? (laughs) <laughs> but thank God, thank God, we all breathe a sigh of relief when we see who it really is. Uh, so catching up with the glider, Spider-Man finds Jameson in tow and learns that the goblin, thankfully, isn't Hobgoblin, but the Green Goblin. Yeah, which is cool. Green Goblin's just like, no, fuck that guy. I'm different. I'm better. I'm the one true goblin. And we're like, yes. <laughs> and my glider is 10 times larger. Dude, you know what? One thing I, I, I what I do like about the goblin, hobgoblin, Green Goblin, Hobgoblin kind of switcheroo here is that like Green Goblin can basically his, in order to make him like better than the Hobgoblin in the context of this world and the show mm-hmm. is that they do have to like very clearly like make him one up on the hobgoblin they're sort of like very intentional like oh this goblin has super strength and immediately crushes spider-man's web shooters this goblin has a big ass double glider that can split itself (laughs) it's fucking ginormous like this goblin is so much better than the hobgoblin man (laughs) and we're like well the bar was pretty low but sure yeah 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 it's like he had cool toys 
but these toys are even cooler. <laughs> yeah, I dig that though because it does make the Green Goblin like even better and bigger because they have to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, I love just that because that they have to. dual glider thing that got that glider that separates is so fucking cool. It's so cool. Yeah, so cool. So unnecessarily large. I know. I love it though. It's it's like yeah. too big. It's but, great. Like, that's a great. It's a good kind of big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a good kind of big what the hell does that even mean i don't know it's, it's not just like cool. the bad like kind of big you know it's like a cool kind of big like a good kind of big <laughs> well luckily this glider is the good type of big because it helps green goblin shake off spidey he does do the the glider separation thing uh and i guess like I mean, maintains remote control over the glider, right? Because he, like, flies Spider-Man just directly into a building. It's so good. Yeah. The animation in this episode, it's not, like, the most top tier, sure. but it's, like, upper upper tier for this show, I think. And they have some really cool moments and really cool fight sequences. Um, and I, I think this initial goblin glider fight is really good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, seeing the, the crash through the building, like, through the literally entire building... You like pan throughout all of the windows and see the glider come out of the other side. I think that's that's also really well it's done. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> well, the next day, Spider-Man investigates Oscorp because he does recall that Hobgoblin got his gear from Oscorp. Uh, yeah. But when but when he arrives, he finds Harry uh, searching around the rubble, which he finds odd because it is sort of like a blown up, like <laughs> the lab is destroyed. Uh, yeah. So Spider-Man takes a look at whatever Harry was looking at and discovers blueprints for the goblin tech. And this sort of causes Spider-Man to be like, hey, wait a second. Like, what if Harry's the goblin? Like, it would kind of make sense. He's been acting really weird um, and he's not really talking to anybody. Uh, and he obviously was upset at what happened. Uh, and who knows? Like. Peter or Spider-Man might even know something about that meeting, depending on what Harry would or wouldn't say somewhere in the meantime there. I know they weren't talking a whole lot, but it's not completely unreasonable that he might have an idea about it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. So reasonable conclusion. Mm hmm. Well, later that night, Green Goblin attacks another board member and Detective Terry Lee investigates. This is one of those unnamed board members. Uh, You know, just one of those dudes. Um. When Spider-Man arrives, uh, Detective Lee does confirm that uh, confirms the pattern of attacks. And Spidey is like, all right, cool. I got my information. The, this is all definitely the same guy. I'm going to flip off. I like the little little interaction where she's just like, I'm a cop. Why would I just like tell you? And he's like, I did save your life. Or no, 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 no. I got it wrong. She's like, I guess I, I shouldn't tell you, but you did save my life once. And he's like, I, I technically saved your life twice. So. <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, she's always a delight to see. I like her. But yeah. either way, Spidey has has the information. He flips flips off, assuming that like the uh, Anastasia Hardy will be next on the list. And sure enough, we cut right to the Green Goblin mid attack on the Hardys. Uh, both Felicia and Anastasia are there because it's Felicia's apartment. Um, and the Goblin escapes with Anastasia. Um, actually. First, he has Anastasia and Felicia. He escapes by tossing Felicia from his glider. Um, Spidey does save her, but obviously that lets uh, that lets the goblin f- fly away with Anastasia. Classic, until... classic, yeah. classic move, Spider-Man mm-hmm. villains. Mm-hmm. Any superhero villains, really, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, especially if they fly. 
Yup. I know. I was thinking of Superman. <laughs> Just throw Lois off the building. Yep. <laughs> He's going to save her. <laughs> but yeah, but then later still, Green Goblin attacks Kingpin's helicopter, ripping Kingpin from the chopper and Dude. tying him up, tying him up in a titanium cable. And I think it looks really cute seeing Kingpin flying through the air, wrapped up in a titanium cute, cable. Cute's certainly a word for it. It's intense. <laughs> I was not expecting him to like just rip him out of a, a helicopter that was like in the air it was intense goblin's a formidable villain it's great i dig it they do really cool stuff with him in this episode he also is like keenly aware of and and, and this isn't the first time he makes reference of it but he's so keenly aware of who the gob the gob who the hobgoblin was and sort of like Mm -hmm. how he grades hobgoblin and then also is aware of how other people would have viewed and quote graded hobgoblin because he's like bet you wouldn't have had like expected me to have super strength and titanium cords right because yeah kingpin mistakes him for the hobgoblin just like everybody else's yeah you know he's like i know you think i suck guess what i don't (laughs) yeah i kind of feel like maybe it was a boon to them to have to deal with the hobgoblin stuff first because like it gives them it gives it gives Green Goblin an extra edge, I feel like. Because I think what's interesting about this is that he doesn't feel like a legacy villain. He doesn't feel like he's a copy or like a sequel to the Hobgoblin because the Green Goblin is because everyone's so aware of it, I feel like. Because they call it out so much mm-hmm. that like and and so and the Green Goblin's like actions are deliberately like trying to one up Hobgoblin and trying to sort of like subvert what you would expect from Hobgoblin, that like it ends up just making him even you know, even scarier than I think he would be if he was the first or only goblin that you met. You know, yeah, he's 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 the he's the one that says like you haven't seen anything yet. You know, and you're just like, oh yeah. shit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like because you have that baseline of the hobgoblin. It's like you thought this dude was bad. Well, check me out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it yeah yeah. I think it works really well. Yeah, they they managed to. I I don't think they handled Hobgoblin no. well the first time, but they certainly handle what they did with Hobgoblin well here. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's literally not in the episode, yep. <laughs> his presence is felt, but in the best way possible yeah. because they the built the Green saying, Goblin on top of the rubble that was the Hobgoblin. Yeah, and and the whole point of view of the episode is like, look how much better this dude is than the Hobgoblin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yep, it's true. Yeah. You could have just made Hobgoblin cool. I know they could have. They could have. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Sa- Semper's hatred for Hobgoblin just like came through in those episodes to the detriment yeah. of the episodes. Yeah. It was a grudge, John Semper. You were holding a grudge. And I respect you for telling us about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> we want the tea. Well, at the Watsons, Peter checks in with Mary Jane. And Mary Jane... This kind of caught me off guard. Suspects that Harry could actually be somehow involved in the attacks on the board members, um, basically laying out exactly what Harry's motive would be, and then saying that that Harry Osborn has a darkness inside of him, which get out, girl. <laughs> that is I know. that's a that I that the way she described it, I was like mm, red flag, red flag, red flag. Yep, red flag. Yep. Um, I, I, you know, I do and I appreciate, know it would, I mean, uh, mm. I know that 
that's that's all really rough. Yeah, that's all really rough. Yeah, and big red flag. I do think it's really cool that like MJ is like this is this is emotionally intelligent Mary Jane and very genre savvy Mary Jane. Where it's like I recognize that I live in a comic book world where sometimes people just put on masks and become supervillains. And I'm putting the pieces together, and I think that it's possible that my boyfriend is a supervillain. Yeah, like, well, and the fact that she's the one sort of being like, I think my boyfriend is a supervillain, as opposed to like, hey, character, I think your boyfriend is a supervillain, and then being like, never! Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that, you know, cons- I, I know the circumstances, like, suck, but I, I like that context yeah. a lot. I think that that's really interesting, and I think that's really cool. That is a really cool angle to her character that, like... It's present in many iterations. I feel like it's present in the comics at times. It's really has never been present in this show. So it's cool that they kind of add that. Yeah. Like, I think that there's an edge from like the Hydro Man episode mm-hmm. where she's like s- very smart and savvy and like aware of the world that she's in that like helped her defeat Hydro Man that we never see anywhere else. So it's cool to see that sort of pop up again here. Yeah. What's less cool, what I like <laughs> significantly less, <laughs> because this is one of my least favorite tropes in media is men withholding information from women because they're afraid that it will like or either they're afraid that it will hurt woman or that they feel the need to protect woman at the expense of being honest with them i hate it i hate it i it's all bad hate it so much i understand the mechanic of it but it's so overdone and it's such a massive obnoxious problematic trope that i hate it is well what's super bad about this this isn't even the only bad thing is that like in this scenario peter is actually buying that harry might be he agrees psychotic supervillain and like yeah if that's the case if he really believes that then he's not protecting mary jane by not telling her that the protective thing to do would to be like Maybe he is. We should get you somewhere safe in case that's the case. In case, so your psychotic boyfriend doesn't kill you. Like, if if he's really buying that and she's expressing this fear to you, then her life is definitely, or at least a, potentially, in danger. And you're putting her into a scarier position by not being on her side and like believing what she's saying. But surely she would be better off if she had nothing to worry about because I told her no way couldn't be Harry. Don't worry, Mary Jane. You'll just hurt your heart. Yeah. Stop. Stop. hate it. And then the episode like rewards him for it in the end. It pisses me off so much. (laughs) It makes me so angry because he agrees with her. There's the fucking incel bullshit because his logic for not telling her isn't just like the hurt her thing. It was the line I said with the with, with the spider sense, the opening of the episode. It's also like they they try to play it as this like heroic thing because he's like, I could tell her that her boyfriend is a supervillain, which I fully believe, and that would make her but but that would make her feel worse about Harry. Could it potentially make her feel better about me? And then, like, she could be my girlfriend? Like, it's so manipulative. And then it's played as heroic for him lying about how he actually feels and potentially putting her in more danger 
Like, I, it's all bad. Like, no matter what decision he makes, the angle that, at it that he's coming from is bad. The, the, the actual thing that he says is bad. No matter what, it's never taking Mary Jane into account. Like, it's always about either what's better for him or what he thinks is better for her. Not, like, what she, like, nothing gives her agency, no matter what. And what makes even, le- like, less sense, both in-universe and, I would even say, out of the universe, I feel like this is a thing that doesn't even necessarily make sense to write in is for all of this to be the case when he also clearly knows that she's going to go look for Harry anyway. Like there's never a point at which he believes she's not going to do that because he literally puts a tracer, puts a tracer in her pocket um, and then follows her. Like I know that, that arguably it could be like, Oh, well I need to know where she is in case Harry attacks her. But I also, I feel like it's just as much that he knows she's going to do something. Yeah, because he does put a spider tracer in her jacket because he knows that she's going to go. And follows her. It's not like he's just watching so that he can find her if he needs to. Yeah. (laughs) Good God. What a mess. Yeah. What a mess. (laughs) It's not not unexpected with this show, but... It's frustrating because I do think this episode is otherwise very good. Yeah. And then it just throws in the very 90s stuff. It throws in the worst type of Peter Parker and it does the worst girlfriend thing. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which really sucks because like like, like I said, a lot of this interaction wouldn't even be necessary because Mary Jane still ends up like getting in the middle, getting in the thick of it anyway. Like we didn't need to make <laughs> to make Peter look like a piece of shit in this scene. Mm-hmm. Like it could have just been found some other way for, for Spider-Man to find out that Mary Jane got captured and, and, you know, and, uh, and followed them. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Because she does exactly what he knew she was going to do, or at least thought she might do. And what we all thought she would do, which is try to find Harry. She goes to Oscorp. <laughs> she does exactly what Harry was doing. Uh, and she finds Harry doing exactly what he was doing. He's poking around. Yeah, she was going to do it anyway. She's a badass, okay? Yeah. Just work with her. Yeah. Don't try to stop her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So she finds Harry, like I said. She attempts to follow him, uh, but she, like, falls through a, a floor uh, that's damaged and ends up running into Green Goblin. Um, and there is enough of a distance where she, like, sort of loses Harry. Like, the reason she falls through the floor is because she's, like, running after him. Um, that this is another, among other things that we haven't necessarily flagged up, but like another thing to sort of put in that, like, here's our box of evidence. Could yeah. it be that he changed and she just found him? Yeah. We well, don't and then, know. You know. And, and Green Goblin is like, oh, someone was spying on me. You mm-hmm. know, she was technically spying on Harry. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she runs into the Green uh, Goblin. Uh, he just takes her. <laughs> He's like, Okay, well, I'm going to take you. Uh, Puts it on his glider and then takes her to a submarine, which goes underwater and takes them to a huge base uh, just off the coast of New York City. Wild. It's so funny. Sprawling this is. It's ridiculous. I just love (laughs) that they go from having like generally like very modest, realistic sort of like cars buildings clothes like just sort of very normal things and then the moment somebody has like a techno like technology boosted tank it's like the most ridiculous tank or like when somebody has a water vehicle it's like the most sci-fi water vehicle yeah Uh, or someone has a gun it's like the most space gun it's so funny 
amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, they go to this underwater base. And luckily, I guess, since Spider-Man was tracing her with his spider tracer, he sees the whole thing. I mean, he doesn't see them meeting up, but he sees Goblin leaving with her and then going into a submarine and then going underwater. So he follows. Yep. With his super spider breath. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So at that underwater base, he discovers all the attacked board members shackled up. And being confronted by the Green Goblin, um, this includes Mary Jane now, of course, because he brought her there. Mm-hmm. So just tons of people from Spider-Man's life just all chained up right now. <laughs> confronted by Green Goblin, who puts on, like, black judges' robes and claims that they're all going to be tried for the crime of hypocrisy. A crime that he claims destroyed Norman Osborn. Uh, he calls Jameson, Anastasia, and Fisk out for their crimes and sins. Like, Jameson for... I don't even remember what he says that Jameson did. I guess just for betraying his friend or whatever. Um, calls out... I like that the continuity bit, like, calling out Anastasia for funding Doc Ock, who is, mm-hmm. like, the most one of the most famous criminals, which, you know, fair. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very smart that uh, he very pointedly... Like, it's not realistic, but, like, it's smart from a writer standpoint... He doesn't specifically say, Wilson Fisk, you are the kingpin. He's just like, Wilson Fisk, your crimes are just one of some of the worst ever because not every, because we can't have the world know that Wilson right. Fisk is kingpin. Even Peter Parker doesn't know Wilson Fisk is kingpin at this point, to my memory. So they're still kind of keeping those cards close to their chest, which I appreciate. But yeah, so all these people are bad in Goblin's eyes. He feels like he's totally justified in the murder he's probably about to do. <laughs> then he reveals that he flies up and reveals a statue of Lady Justice with the Green Goblin's face on it. Cool. It's, it this I mean this is the wackiest he gets, so it's like not like he's constantly being wacky, but it's so funny to see that uh that like otherwise totally normal stone statue with like a green and purple goblin face on it. And it's like, how did he, <laughs> is that what he was doing for the past two weeks? Like yeah. getting a, getting a statue, then like taking, finding a way to like graft one of his masks onto it. Like, all right. Of course. It's <laughs> a good, it's a good use of time. Could sell sure. that on Etsy after he's done with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he reveals this statue of Lady Liberty with his own face, Spider-Man reveals Uh, That he's been there the whole time so that he can intervene uh, and try to free all these folks. Uh, So naturally, he and Goblin begin to clash. Uh, Spider-Man does land one of his signature drop kicks on Green Goblin. I think knocks him even off of his own glider, which is always pretty fun. Uh, But Goblin has like all these new and improved gadgets. Um, It is initially enough to sort of overwhelm Spider-Man. But Goblin gets kind of carried away, uh, sort of gives in to maybe his predecessor's worst tendencies um, and tosses one too many pumpkin bombs, uh, which destroys a portion of the facility's hall uh, and the whole place begins to flood. So kind of a big oopsie. Whoops. I love his like flashy gloves. Like his gloves that yeah! really just flash a bunch of light. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, it's akin to the sparkle fingers, but it's like different enough that it's like, oh, this is a different guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Yeah. So naturally, as Green Goblin is seemingly washed away by the water, Spider-Man turns his attention to the trapped board members. He easily frees them from their restraints, um, even though their restraints are strong enough to hold Kingpin. So 
I, I'm just going to assume that the wall, Power like the stability levels. of the wall was sort of messed up, you know, because... Well, Kingpin because has less leverage. I mean, Spider-Man has his whole body in both of his legs. That's true. Uh, you know, theoretically. I don't remember how he was positioned. Uh, but Whatever. lots more leverage. Yeah, so Spidey's strong. He free, all, he free them all. There you go, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, they all escape together through this, uh, this, the, the submarine that Green Goblin had initially brought Mary Jane in. I really like the bit when, like, they're all escaping. There's a, actually, there's a number of, like, good little character moments. Like, Jameson is, like, yelling at Spider-Man and Mary Jane's like, Mr. Jameson, come on! Yeah. Which, like, you never see those two interact. Mary yeah. Jane slips and, like, Kingpin catches her and it's like, careful, miss. And it's like, when else are you ever going to see Kingpin and Mary Jane interacting? Like, I love that it stuff. It is very funny to see them all sort of, like, interacting with each other and just, like, being, like, the Goblin's victims together. Yeah, Because even fun. Anastasia Hardy at this point has been implicated uh, – in so many like unsavory situations or at least been accused of like complicity at the, at the least guilty, like, you know, like you have this really colorful cast of unsavory characters for various different reasons. Um, Yeah. And then you have like Mary Jane and Spider-Man, you know? Right. (laughs) And it's like, when else are you going to see all of these, all of these people, not just in the same room, but like interacting with each other, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's so fun. Just to like um, not even, drown. <laughs> yeah, even even just briefly, it's just it's just cool to see that. Yeah. Um, my the other moment I like is like when they're all running into the submarine to escape. Spider Man's like Jameson, you're gonna drive it. He's just like, huh, me? <laughs> I love the delivery. It's so good. <laughs> well, he gets driven around in his limo with a car phone in it, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He yeah. probably well, doesn't even know how to drive anymore. Spidey calls him out for being like in the Navy or something, right? Isn't mm, that what he says? I don't remember. I think that's what it is. I yeah, buy it. Like you're in the Navy. You, you gotta buy you gotta you gotta do it. I buy it. Um Yeah. So uh so the submarine sets off with Mary Jane and, and all the other victims. Uh Green Goblin re-enters and resumes his clash with Spider-Man. Uh, of course, on the way out, Fisk is like, hmm, I see a big red button. I'm sure I know what this does. He presses <laughs> it. It's a laser. <laughs> it causes a bunch. It blows up a bunch, a bunch of the facility, causes portions of it to collapse behind them. Jay, I, I love this. I love it so much. You know, you know that you are the baddest of bad guys when fucking J. Jonah Jameson is chastising you for leaving Spider-Man for dead. He's yeah. like, why did you, Fisk, why did you, why did you do that? Yeah. Um, like, you know, you've done a shitty thing when Jameson is against you. Uh, and Fisk is like, well, we have to rid the world of both of those maniacs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jameson and Mary, Mary Jane. I feel like I think that they exchange glances or something like that. Like, it's so fun. It's good. It's good. One, it's really, really fun. I think to get to see Jameson, Fisk and Hardy all interact with each other. Anastasia Hardy all interact with each other. Um, cause they're all such powerful folks. Um, yeah. But because they don't know that Wilson Fisk is Kingpin, he does, he like has to sort of like shrink himself, um, which allows characters like Jameson to talk to him the way that he does in this moment where he just yeah. blatantly and directly questions something that the fucking Kingpin is doing, you know, yeah. and Fisk can it's only great. do so much because he can't be like, oh, well, I don't want Spider-Man to live because he's kind of getting in the way of my underground crime empire. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Uh, it's right. so good. <laughs> and just the absurdity of Mary Jane being in the middle of all of this, yeah. all of these like gigantic, like corporate moguls in of yeah. New York. And she's just like 
in a fucking submarine with them. I like, mean, it speaks so to exactly weird. what you were talking about, I think, maybe two weeks ago or so, where it was like, we need to track if Mary Jane appears in every single episode. It, it, like, not because she isn't utilized, because she is utilized with purpose in this, right? But, like, largely it is to ensure that Spider-Man is invested and connected in a certain way, yeah. um, even beyond the other people already involved. So then you end up with, yeah, all right, well, we check off another one where Mary Jane is here, uh, but everybody else is one of those moguls. So it's like, yeah. she's here, <laughs> she is with this crew. <laughs> so funny. Such a, such a motley crew of characters. I love it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good. Anastasia Hardy for my uh, my Sinister Six boardroom. Ooh, ooh. I would like to put her on the board. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. Did she, I know that, so Felicia Hardy already had a mom in the comics who was essentially a different character, right? That's, do I have that understanding correct? I think so. I'm not, I'm not positive, but I think so. Because I, I Anastasia Hardy seems like the type of character that would have been amazing to bring from this cartoon into the comics. And I don't yeah. know how much it, or if at all Anastasia Hardy's characterization affected, you know, Mom Hardy because her name's not Anastasia. I, I don't know if it ever affected it, but I I kind of hope it did. Even if I even if I don't know anything about Felicia's mom, just because I love yeah. this version of of Anastasia or I guess just Anastasia Hardy. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Well, it's also cool just because like there's so many male corporate moguls in the spider-man universe you know that or even not just corporate but just like either corporate or like crime moguls and there's a lot of them and and you could do lots of fun things with them but there are very few women in power in that way and i love that this show has anastasia even though she hasn't made that many appearances every appearance she's been in has like presented her as as being sort of a morally gray character you know like like she seems to have the best of intentions or claims to but like she keeps always interacting with these supervillains and like right. funding supervillainy, even if ostensibly by accident, you know? And it's like, at a certain point, it's a pattern, right? Like, Yeah, <laughs> if you're making enemies with multiple of New York City's worst supervillains, like, at that point, it almost doesn't matter if you're well-intentioned or not. Like, you're in, you're in the thick of it. Like, you are yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like, and I feel like there would be a cool way to have that character, even if your version of Black Cat isn't like this show, like if your version of Black Cat is the full on like criminal that just like maybe reforms and goes back and forth sometimes. Yeah. Like, I think having that mom character, especially a mom character that is in like the corporate world to sort of contrast like her dad being the famous cat burglar, I think that would be really interesting. And I if that's never been dealt with or sort of done or retconned or something in some version of the comics, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Me too. I really hope that all of this conversation doesn't matter because Anastasia isn't as far off uh, as maybe it seems. Cause I just, I, you're right. It would be a missed opportunity not to incorporate this stuff. Yeah. So good. Cool. She's Mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, left behind by uh, you know, Fisk and everybody else, Spider-Man does manage uh to pin Green Goblin long enough to unmask him, uh, which reveals Norman Osborn. Uh so <gasps> only one episode uh of Green Goblin maybe duh, duh, duh. um but only one episode before we learn who Green Goblin is. Um and it's uh it's Norman. <laughs> 
Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular enough patrons, Bo, Eric, Steve, Carl, Katie, Mike, Lillian, and Douglas. If you would like to support our show too, our way of saying thanks is by giving you lots of cool Spidey goodies. You'll have early access to all our episodes, including our AMAs, where we answer your burning questions about anything and everything. And we mean everything. If you join us at our $5 spectacular level, you get to hear us let loose and talk about wackier stuff in our After Dark commentaries or our movie commentaries, where we watch every single Spidey-related theatrical film, from the Raimi films to Amazing Spider-Man to Spider-Verse, Venom, Avengers Endgame, and more. And at our amazing tier, we'll invite you to be a guest on our show. That's right, you. You all make our show better, whether it's by sending us Word Snappers words, making us fan art, joining our Discord community, or just listening to us every week. This is our way of saying thank you for supporting this show and inspiring us to dip into media even we didn't realize was on our radar. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate you. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. So when this happens, when Norman is revealed, we get this sort of like dual personality or competing consciousnesses thing with Green Goblin where... Green Goblin, without his mask on, claims that Norman no longer exists. Um, and he shares that basically Green Goblin was born um, when that explosion happened and Norman died. Uh, we see sort of an extended flashback to scenes we didn't get initially where he finds the Hobgoblin uh, technology, realizes that he can make it better. Which is depicted oh. in a weird way because it just like literally transforms before his very eyes. Yeah, Yeah, the implication is that the the green gas literally changed hobgoblin's outfit into the green goblin outfit i think it makes a lot more sense to just, to just say that that's sort of norman's like you know psychosis like interpretation of what happened but like it looks like as the goblin gas <laughs> made norman stronger it also is like and it also like turn the hobgoblin costume green like yeah it's, that's I, the way it's presented and it's really silly <laughs> i would like to choose to believe that it's just like a storytelling way of representing that he changed sure. the, the i'm gonna believe i need that I, to be truer because i feel like that's not true <laughs> but i'm going to uh, agree with that too because it's a that's in that case that's a really cool like kind of poetic way to do yeah. it so there you go it's artsy baby it's artsy <laughs> So he claims Norman's dead, basically, and that Green Goblin is all that exists. Uh, he calls himself the one true goblin. I love that because, once again, it acknowledges uh, that he is aware of Hobgoblin and the reputation and that, that sucks. he still has as sucking. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Apologies to all the Hobgoblin stands out there, but 90s Hobgoblin fucking sucks. Look, I think we made it pretty clear that our familiarity is based almost most like firsthand experience is largely based on how he's presented it in this show. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm not even saying he just inherently sucks. I, I this, this show did nothing with something that yeah. could, they yeah. could have done anything with pretty you much get Mark Hamill to do you get you get Mark Hamill to do your villain voice. Yeah. And like, he's still not interesting. Like, you know, you fucked up. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're mad about it, send me recommendations for when Hobgoblin is at his coolest. I'll read them. Yeah. Um. So Green Goblin is grasping for his mask from Spider-Man. He's like, I must have it. Uh, Osborn stumbles and manages to become trapped 
under the goblin-headed statue of Lady Justice. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's cool. It, like, pins him down. He's like, no, no, stop staring at me. Like, he's having a full psychotic break mm-hmm. of ha- seeing basically, like, a shadow of himself staring back at him. And, you know, he's yeah. a very uh, a tormented, confused man right now. So yep. uh, it makes sense that it would be affecting him like that. Uh, as the water begins to flood around him, he begins to seemingly like transform back into Norman. Like do you, and, and it's good. This is where we kind of called out like Neil Ross's uh, vocal performance because his voice as Norman is very distinct from this goblin voice. And he's sort of going back and forth between that. Um, and this sort of segues into a, a flashback to his interaction with Strom, where Strom explains that they weren't exactly sure of the longevity of the formula's effects. So that means that, like, oh, no, the goblin gas is actually wearing off. The go- And theoretically, as the goblin gas wears off, the goblin personality wears off. And, and it's, and it's going to be Norman left. Well, as we discussed when we talked about issue 50 of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, Goblin never shows back up, so uh, you know there's no reason to think that we'll ever get more Green Goblin content from the show. So just you know, one and done. It's over. He's never done. He's never done anything famous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's no Gwen Stacy in his show in this show. So what else could he possibly do? Yeah, I know, right? If 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 your character does not kill Gwen Stacy or be Gwen Stacy dying, are they worth it? <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. That's the, that is the worst thing you've ever said. Uh, I, I, because it's terrible. It's actually, People believe it. Yeah. Yep. Maybe not about the Green Goblin. But that's, they, yeah. uh, people really don't like, luck, well, they did. They did. They used to. It's I think, different now. I think, it is, we're, yeah. we're in a different world now. We live in a much you better time. You can have a time. movie, you could have a movie, Spider-Verse proved, you could have a movie with Green Goblin and Gwen Stacy in the same movie. Yeah. And guess what? He doesn't kill her. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Nobody kills her. She doesn't die. And guess it's what? Wild. She's she's a good character that the movie would suffer for not having in it without dying. Isn't that wild? Do you think people people listening to this are like sick of us talking about this? Because I'm not. I'm never <laughs> done with it. That's never going to be over for me. That's always going to be a point of contention that is always going to come yeah. up. Yeah. Look, so. here's the thing. I, you know, we touched on this with Greg. It's there's it's it the story exists. It's important for a reason. It's just like it it doesn't have to be the only story, guys. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think we're at a point now where where people have realized that. So thankfully, so yeah, mm, for the most part. Someday maybe we'll get it all out, but yeah. it's not today. Not yet. Not yet. We haven't touched every single Gwen Stacy uh, <laughs> appearance yet, so it's going to come yeah. up literally every single it's time. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We also just watched Amazing Spider-Man 2 for the Patreon, Oof. like, recently. Yeah, it's fresh. Uh, you know, so, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so the gas is wearing off. That means that 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 Norman has lost his goblin super strength. So that means he's unable to lift the statue off of him. Um, so he remains pinned, and Spider-Man has to rescue him. <laughs> but not before, you know, stripping him of all of Green Goblin's costumes and gadgets, which is a smart move. Yes. I think that that was a clever thing to do. Yes. It's just funny because then he's carrying around Norman Osborn in his underwear. Yeah. It's, I think it's done. I, I, I want to call out the animation for it, too, or just the directing of it, I guess, because all they do is they just cut to, like, the water as it flows, and then you just see, like, pieces of Goblin's costume, like, floating in the water. Mm-hmm. So you don't literally – it would be really silly to see Spider-Man, like – 
having to deal with like the ragdoll unconscious body of Norman Osborn, oh. like taking his clothes off, you know? Well, we watched a different <laughs> cut. You didn't see the like very sensual single uh, unbuttoning fuck uh, off. on the back of Goblin's <laughs> costume. The slow zipper descending. <laughs> Why does that gross me out so much? <laughs> the idea of Peter Parker, uh, or rather Spider-Man, sensually. Uh, uh, oh. What? <laughs> oh, don't continue. Move on. I think that's the Move universe on. saying to not continue with that. I can I can do like faux yay shipping with like with Spider-Man and many villains. For some reason, Green Goblin. And or Norman Osborn is just is not one of them that works for me in any iteration in any capacity. Oh, in my book. dare I dare I dare I invoke it? Somebody please send the fan art. Mm. I'm I am curious about what that would look like. Maybe I maybe my mind would of the changed. sensual maybe, undressing. Maybe that would awaken something in me. Oh God, damn! If I'm not like fucked up enough as it is, she's um. <sighs> yeah anyway they're on their way out of that flooding facility uh but but you know spider-man i i love i love how they how they sort of uh how they kind of pace all this out because you know spider-man it's it's really tense uh spider-man's trying to like, move some rubble to kind of get out of the way he's like oh my god i'm not gonna be able to get out in time before this water drowns all of us and then a door in the ceiling opens up and harry just peeks his head out and he's like hey. dad spider-man <laughs> what <laughs> yeah yeah i like that yeah <laughs> And they do a clever thing where, like, Harry – I mean, he he finds them, and then he leads them to a monorail. Um, and Spider-Man's like, how are you even here? And Harry's like, oh, well, like, this place is connected to Oscorp, and I've been spending the past couple weeks uh, just poking around and, and trying to figure out a way to get here, uh, which explains why he was looking at all those blueprints earlier and kept returning yeah. back to the rubble that was Oscorp. It's like a secret weapons testing site. Is that what he says? That it I is think so. Like yeah. That? Yeah. Which it's very I'm Tony like, Stark. I... <laughs> like the Norman Osborn Oscorp, like making weapons and then being like, oh, JK. <laughs> that place also like is that I don't think that's what weapons testing sites look like. And also, also testing weapons underwater seems like that seems like the worst place to be testing. Weapons. Um, especially because he's specifically testing chemical weapons in the form of gases. <laughs> I mean, oh, uh, well, there's actually, no natural ventilation. No, it isn't. It, but it's not safe for them, but it is safe for like the rest of the world though, because if there is, is a leak, like, it's, it theoretically would just be dissipated in the water. Whereas if you have a, you know, if you're testing chemical weapons in the middle of Manhattan and something leaks, then it, chemical weapons gases are leaking in the city to civilians. Would it, so like, would it I not can just sort of like it make its context. way up through the water as like a big toxic gas fart bubble? Is that not how it works? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just I seems think like it would take it, longer and would kill everybody on the way. That still seems better than it going directly into the air though. I, like I feel it's more manageable than that. That's you know? true. If nothing else, it would dissipate to a degree before it hit the actual like dense right. part of the city. And there's enough time. I feel like to like warn people and like figure out what to do about it. than there would be if it was just released immediately into the air. 
I mean, I maybe just not in New York City would be my, you know. That's true. <laughs> maybe don't test chem- like gas chemical weapons in general. Like maybe that shouldn't be a thing that ever happens in the world. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that that's a fair. Thing I think to it's say. actually. I think Norman. I think is committing international crimes. Is he not? I, I think that. Well, yeah, I think that he is. <laughs> So I feel think like that that's fair. an international war criminal as a result of, of this. I guess they don't specify what the weapons are for, but it is a chemical <laughs> weapon and it is a gas, which I believe are uh, illegal internationally. No, I think that they are <laughs> at least a lot of oh, them. Oh boy. Are. <laughs> yep. I don't know. Maybe it's new. It's not like maybe it's he's not he's not actually like you know cons- like dictating it as a chemical weapon. You yeah. Because as far as we know, all these things do is just give you superpowers and make you insane. So like, I. <laughs> yeah, there couldn't be any bad consequences from that. <laughs> but I think you could argue that it's not a weapon. Uh huh. It's like a performance enhancing drug that he's making, basically, <laughs> just with a it's, bad side effect. It's right performance now, art. You guys don't get it. Oh, it's performance art. I yeah, mean, it's that's a public. The Green it's a public display of art. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Norman's the an one artist. True arti- <laughs> the one true artist, Norman Osborn. <laughs> well, when Norman does fully sort of regain consciousness in the back of the monorail car, uh, he cannot recall anything that just happened, including. The Green Goblin, because one of the two of either Peter or Harry even says, like, the words Green Goblin. And Norman's like, the what now? <laughs> so this is this is straight out of the comics. Norman Osborn coming out and being like, huh? We saw this yeah. in, uh, what did we see this in? The 81? Either Yeah, either 81 or, or Amazing Friends. No, it's Amazing Friends, I think, is who we met him in so far. Where we saw that sort comics. of happen. It, not in this exact order, but that same idea. Yeah, it's interesting that, like, you know, the amnesia thing and forgetting that Green Goblin was a thing it has always been present in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it's just the split personality thing, I think, came from, I guess, the 81 show originally. Um, the 81 are Amazing Friends. No, yeah, it had to be. No, Amazing Friends. Sorry, because that came first. And then they just sort of carry that over here. But, like, I can sort of see how you pull the split personality thing from the amnesia thing. Like, and yeah. how that becomes a thing. Like, you know, and then that, that ends up in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just sort of interesting. Like, like tracing back, like, I remember people are always like, like, oh, yeah, you know, the, the 90s cartoon and then the movie, like, pro- proliferated the split personality thing. And it's sort of like, I can see the threads for how you get to that point from the comics. Like, I think that that makes sense to get to that point. Because the well, way yeah, the because if you're gonna have him, split personality like yeah, if you're gonna have him have amnesia, one of the ways to have Green Goblin return is for it to have been dormant, not gone. Right, exactly. Which exactly. would require those things to be sort of separate consciousnesses, even if you don't yeah. necessarily call it out as coexisting consciousnesses. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the Spectacular Spider-Man would have ever done an amnesia thing. I feel like they might have avoided mm. that just based on the Norman Osborn personality and the way that they built him. Yeah, I think so. At least based on everything we saw, like they really didn't set anything up for it. And granted, like, I don't know that you set up for amnesia, but it didn't look like they were heading yeah. in that. It, or rather, it looked like they were going in a particular direction, which makes me think uh, amnesia was not yet on the table uh, or at right. least anytime soon. They clearly right. had somewhere they were going. 
Yeah, which is cool. I dig it. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Yeah. I I like the amnesia as such like a vital part of Osborne's storylines, but I think it's cool if you find a way to not use it. And I agree. So I agree. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the it's the challenge. I mean, we talked so much about it with spectaculars, like just the idea that like if a character like this relies on a certain amount of mystique that uh, then goes on to being one of the more recognizable villains, even outside of the particular sphere of Spider Man. Like, how do you recreate that magic, right? You kind of have to always sort of tweak and twist and whatnot. So if you can figure out a way to rebuild that mystique in a way that doesn't rely on what you know before, uh, why not give it a whirl? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool, cool stuff. Green Goblin is always so interesting to talk about. So the next day or shortly after, really unclear, doesn't matter that much, just to know that it's later, um, Norman Osborn holds a press conference announcing Oscorp's immediate suspension of research and development on chemical weapons. Um, again, sort of like the, the Tony Stark press conference, right? Um, present as a board member, Wilson Fisk uh, leans in and whispers to Norman that he supports the decision, of course, as Wilson Fisk. Uh, but really, it's kind of just to keep up appearances for the time being. Uh, you do need to go back to making chemical weapons because this is, will not be profitable, sir. Yeah. And of all the times to say this, I would say a press conference is certainly the best. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're close to a microphone <laughs> and you're not exactly sure how much is being picked up and you're in front of a lot of people. And you're the largest you're of- thing in the room at all times <laughs> in a bright white suit constantly. It's so yeah. funny. Like, works from a writer standpoint. Yeah, they yeah, get yeah. that in real quick. But yeah, it is funny to think about like the context of it. Like, <laughs> you're the most just sent conspicuous him. person in the most right. public position. Right. Like, <laughs> by the way, I'm the kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> he might as well have said that. I know. It's good. It's great. Good stuff. But I do like I do like it, though, because this episode is so it feels so self-contained, like in a good way. But yeah. then that's your sort of dangling thread that I'm sure will be picked up later on. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Again, it just reinforces how important Wilson Fisk is becoming in this show. Yeah. The other thing that Norman announces during this uh, press conference is that he's actually going to be stepping away from some of his responsibilities at Oscorp and appoints Harry to take on more responsibilities. So this whole goblin ordeal has actually strengthened the father-son relationship. Maybe it isn't a (laughs) sin of the father after all. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be great between those two. They're going to live such a good, happy life together. This is only... I, only, only good. I can't even imagine like scenarios where them getting closer could go wrong. Like it's just, yeah. yep. it's like unfathomable, really. Yeah. So uh, also, Mary Jane tells Peter that he was right about Harry and said Harry's says Harry is lucky to have him. So Peter is rewarded for Peter is rewarded for for lying to her and rewarded for trying to be manipulative and only thinking about himself. He thought Harry was Goblin, and she's praising him. For him telling her to not think that. It's bullshit. (laughs) It's so bad. It makes me so mad. And also, I hate Mary it. Jane's just like, yeah, my boyfriend has like darkness to him. And I, it's so much darkness that I could legitimately believe that he's an actual supervillain kidnapping and maybe even murdering people. But it's okay. We're, we're, our relationship's fine. It's, it's fine. chill. It's, it's fine. fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. It's yeah. all fine. It's fine. Can one it's of her friends fine. help, please? I know. Like, it's understandable if she has a hard time seeing it clearly, but can somebody somebody listen to the words she's saying? <laughs> like, please. If someone, please. Like, seriously, <laughs> if someone tells you 
that they're they're the person they're in a relationship with that they haven't been in a relationship with for that long tells you that they have a real darkness to them and that you suspect that they might have had a psychotic break and are doing horrible things like you need to just say more than i'm sure he's fine yeah like that isn't thing that needs to be actionable peter has actionable scenario (laughs) peter has failed as a friend in this episode and i just think we need to identify that like like (laughs) Ultimately, yes, Harry wasn't the Green Goblin. That's tr- a true fact. But that said, that doesn't change the fact that things are bad enough in the relationship and with him that Mary Jane has those conclusions and ha- and yeah. he has identifiable, dark- identifiable darkness about him. Like, all of those things are also true. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be dealt with somehow. Yes. Get out, girl. Get out. Somebody help her. <laughs> Somebody help her. Where Felicia, is fucking get Liz in Allen? there. Liz, where are you? Where's Liz Allen? Like, come on. <laughs> is there a... Jesus Christ. Oh, Betty Brant is uh, older than them in this. Uh, well, Betty maybe. Doesn't exist. Betty doesn't exist. She's not in, in here this. at all? Oh. No. Who Glory am I thinking exists of? Oh, I think for I... exactly. Glory is there for one episode. Okay. <laughs> there is. Well, yeah. come on. Get her back in here. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, hey, Mary Jane, I don't know you at all, but I'm going to give you some relationship advice right now. <laughs> Just give her a place to stay. <laughs> well, I guess she has a place to stay, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's all bad. Bad sucks. Hate it. Don't like um, it. And Peter, Peter is further rewarded by by Felicia because she gives Peter a note to deliver to Spider-Man, which apparently was telling Spider-Man to visit Felicia. So Spider-Man visits Felicia, who thanks him for always being there to save her, she says very sensually. And the episode ends with her pulling up his mask to give him a saucy kiss. I mean, hey, good for her. Yeah, I think that's fine. You get I yours, wish it wasn't Felicia. in the context of rewarding Peter for all that bullshit. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's fine. It, it, Peter deserves shit, but Felicia, you get you get what you want. Yeah. I, you yeah. shouldn't want Peter, but you did, and you got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't yeah. want Peter. You wanted Spider-Man. That's even doper. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. No, Spider-Man's fine. Peter's the problem here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just love that she's like, eh, I could get Spider-Man here, and she does. <laughs> No, it's, yeah, it's so gutsy. Like, what a baller move. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oy, oy, oy. Oh, man. Oh, man. Real quick, because uh, the face of the episode, it isn't, we've already talked about it. It's just, it's just the goblin face on the Lady of Justice statue. It's so, it's so weird. ridiculous. And honestly, like, the way that the, the scene is, like, built, like, goblin flies up to it, rips the, like, hood off of the Justice statue to reveal it, and then, like, it's just a still, like, shot, just, like, staying on that moment for a second, just to let you soak it in, like, yeah, that's a thing he did. And it's... Does it make any goddamn sense? No. Is it ridiculous? Yes. Is it iconic? Hell yes. <laughs> it's not, like, it's it's not drawn differently than his face, either. Like, it just looks identical to his face. It doesn't look like something that's painted or made out of a different material, it just yeah. looks like a second goblin face. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I fucking love it so much. It's so stupid. So good. Yeah. Oh, boy. Good job, yeah. goblin. Yeah. You did it. I think this episode did it. I think, yeah, honestly, aside I from agree. a few minor quibbles, I think this is a really good episode. Yeah, I think it's really good. And because I've been alluding to talking about it, I actually do think that this, it's such a hard exercise, but I think because it's hard, I like trying to do it. Um, yeah. I, because there are certain things that are hard for, for folks like you and I to just like 
turn off in our brain, right? Like the idea mm-hmm. that more often than not, Norman will probably be Green Goblin at some point in some way, right? But I like to think about the person who's watching Spider-Man things for the first time without mm-hmm. any of that knowledge for some reason and then thinking about this episode. And it's, I think this is an interesting example because I think they do a lot more obvious pointing to Harry and they don't really – like no one – like no one really in the show debates between Harry and some other identifiable person. It's more yeah. just, is it Harry or not? Um, yeah. I think there's like an additional wrinkle in the fact that this show is happening in the nineties. And so many of these nineties cartoon properties did the sort of like gas acid chemical, like supervillain <laughs> transformation. Yeah, uh, that even if you didn't know, you might have suspected it was Norman anyway, just because it was like, well, I've seen the Joker, I've watched Static Shock, uh, like <laughs> I've seen yeah. all these other examples. So you probably could, but um, I think it's pretty decent. I think if I think if a kid were watching it, um, and you asked them who Goblin was halfway through, they might honestly say they think it's Harry. I I do I like my memory of it as a kid. I don't remember. I I feel like I I mean I don't really I don't remember about the first time watching this exactly. But like I remember I don't remember ever thinking of the Goblin as anyone else but Norman at this point. Like I I feel like when you're a kid watching it, like I think you're right. I think the Harry clues are obvious to us, but as a kid, like it's not so hammered in. Like I don't think I don't think it's so super hammered in over and over again dramatically that you like care that much if you're a kid probably i feel like as a kid it's sort of like he's the green goblin okay he's norman husborn like whatever like i i think that it's i think that it's they they put the clues in for harry and point to harry but not like to the detriment of the episode or anything no not so much that derails the episode either i think it's like there but i also think it's like enough of just like kind of a i don't know if i want to call it a subtle through line because it's not subtle but like it's not over the top either with like that this is a goblin mystery it's just sort of like i think this could be harry okay never mind it's not like you know um it's kind of underplayed by the end of it i guess it's i don't know if i'd call it underplayed necessarily but it's not over it's not like beating over the head it's just that harry's literally the only person anyone in the episode names as a suspect um so like relatively speaking it's the it's the most obvious clue um yeah but yeah, no, it's not like over the top or anything. And I don't I don't think they I don't think they set out to make you invested in right. whether or not it's Harry. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think it's sort of like we'll do this, we'll throw it in, but like it's not a big deal ultimately. Like cuz the reveal of 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 it being Norman like it's cool, it's fine, but I feel like that's like the least interesting part of the episode. Like I think there's a lot of other cool stuff going on anyway, regardless, you know. Um, yeah, I don't think it's the coolest part, but I do think it is. I don't think it like I don't think it doesn't land. Like it's not like yeah. the wet fart of the episode or anything. Like it's yeah. still sort it's of like a because the characters in the episode react. Like Peter or Spider Man reacts at least in a way that's like, oh shit, I was wrong. Like it's you, you're alive, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's still like it's like it's like a tap, not a punch. Sure. Uh, yeah. Which is fine. But, yeah. I think that's, but I think that's why it kind of works because it then like, there's not really any way to be dissatisfied by it because mm-hmm. they don't try to make it such a big twist or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's that not a way we do like, mystery where you're like weighing out these clear options and then trying right. to decide between them. Like by the time you get there, so much stuff has happened and it's sort of like, regardless of what, whoever you thought it was like, 
the episode's still fun and you still are going to want to see how Spider-Man and Norman get out of this like flooding underground facility that's crumbling, you know, like it's sort of like I'm more invested in that than 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 the than Norman's identity or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's cool. I think it's generally well done. Um, I think my my take on this episode is I think it's sort of like really I love that it feels like the best version of a first season episode. Like it feels like it could be something that was in the first season, but like really good because it's such, it's so self-contained, but also not at the same time. Like it's really, so it's a really like straightforward villain origin story episode. Um, But what makes it work in the context of like right now in this season is that it's utilizing so many characters that have already been established and utilizing this greater, larger world that has already been established, Um, even though it feels self-contained because self-contained because it all kind of ends at the end of the episode. There's no Madam Web tease or anything like that, but you still have enough sort of lingering ongoing threads that like you know that it will sort of play some role and be picked up later on, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's really effective at that. And I think it's just it's just sort of refreshing after like the heavily serialized second season to sort of see that like oh yeah you can still do just like what feels like a standalone episode that's also kind of covertly a really important episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool. I think it's a really cool sort of sleight of hand that they do with this one. Yeah, it's good. It's the fast stuff going as fast as they need to, and the slow stuff going as slow as they need to. Uh huh. It's also a, a well animated and well paced episode too. I think it's just a really strong one overall. Oh my! Look, pacing, baby. Anytime we can yeah. praise the pacing of this series, uh, yeah. it's worth pointing out because the pacing is usually kind of not my favorite. Nope. Yeah, Don't I think the pacing like of it. this one is generally really well yep. done. Agreed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Considering how many characters in there, that's that's an achievement. It's, it's a big achievement, yeah. They give the right ample amount of time to everybody, I think, and and have just enough uh, just enough plot events to happen. They're not overstuffing it, so. Yeah. Hope we get more of that. I'm sure we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe here and there. Maybe here and there. Here and there. Here and there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you would like uh, an overstuffed amount of content uh, in the Spider-Man department, uh, and the, the main feed just isn't enough, uh, get your extra stuffing over on the Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers where we put all of our extra episodes, uh, spider bites, commentaries. Uh, we probably reference some of them throughout the show. Uh, check it out. Uh, our tiers start at $1. You can actually make us say things for $1 uh, and listen to most of the stuff over there. So check it out at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. And check out our Discord. People are starting to chatter in there. It's nice. Let's foster it. I want to blow on the embers a little bit. Get in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be a link in the show notes. If you can't find it, just let us know. We'll, we'll get you in there. Uh, in the meantime, you can find Derek and me all over the place. Uh, Derek, where can people find you and the stuff you're working on? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale, and you can find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. If you like Pokemon, you can listen to me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road. It's a Pokemon podcast where I get together with my friends and talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books and video games, you can check me out on a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Vicky and Katie and I uh, catch up on all the media we have been consuming lately. And as long as the Survivor season is going uh, for Survivor season 41, uh, I will be appearing uh, most uh, weeks on a panel discussion podcast called the Spy Shack podcast, which you can 
find on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you would like more from Derek and me, you can check out our monthly podcast called Falling with Style. It's an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where we watch every Pixar film chronologically. Our episode on Brave is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us on our website at wallbingwebsnappers.com for a full archive of all of the podcasts Derek and I are working on together uh, in an easily sortable and beautiful uh, presentation. You can follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. Uh, and you can email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. I want to know which issues Hobgoblin is the coolest. So please email them <laughs> to me. Thank you. Please rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms. If you like what we're doing, somebody else will too. And those ratings and reviews make us much easier to find. And finally, next week, we follow this iconic villain with an appearance from another iconic long-awaited Marvel character in Sins of the Fathers, Chapter 5, Rocket Racer. (laughs) See you then. Bye.